open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We've been in this chapter for a while now. It's because I wanted to pause, slow down here. Jesus spends time teaching in parables in this passage. And I wanted to make sure we gave the parables the time that they needed. We could have even spent more time. But we're going to finish up. Well, actually, that's not true. We're almost going to finish the chapter today. We're going to finish the parables. And then the end of the chapter really deals with uh, kind of the narrative that comes next. But we'll be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 52. And have you ever heard the, the kind of hypothetical or philosophical thought experiment that if there was a fire at your house and you could grab one thing to save, what would it be? You ever heard this? There's a fire at your house. You can grab one thing, one thing to save, only one thing. And it kind of gets at heart issues, right? We start thinking through priorities. What would I grab? And I thought about this, and I thought, well, I I think this is easy. I mean, if there's a fire at my house and I can grab one thing to save from my fire, hmm, I'd grab the house. You're shaking your head. Is is that cheating? You're darn right it's cheating. Yes, it's cheating. But to be fair, I mean, you asked the question and you set my house on fire, so I, I get to cheat. Now, I'm being silly, and that's really not the point of the question, but think for a moment, isn't that kind of how we live our lives and determine priorities? Well, I want to grab this and that. I want to hold on to this and that, and I can hold this and this and this, and we look like the person at the supermarket that forgot to get the cart or the basket, right? Because we're like, I got this. Guys, I think this is a uniquely male problem. You know, we've got our hands so full of things, we can barely get out the door. And we try to juggle our priorities and our treasures in this world the same way. Today, we're going to look at a passage, I believe, if it is correctly taught, and I pray it is, and if it is correctly heard, and I pray it is, is incredibly challenging to us as modern American Christians. We're going to be looking at a couple more parables. We're going to spend the bulk of our time on just a short passage in 44 through 46, where Jesus gives two short parables about treasure. And his point here in these parables on treasure is that the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is of incomparable worth. Nothing can compare to the worth of the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at this passage, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, we need to review a little bit because this is a kingdom parable. He's been talking about the kingdom all throughout chapter 13. One of the difficulties in teaching this passage is that I think it's really hard for us to get in their mindset of what they would have heard when he said the kingdom of heaven is like. I don't think we can understand how completely contrary what he is saying here is to everything they understood about the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. 
the focus throughout chapter 13 has been on the kingdom. He told the parable of the sower or the soils in verses 1 through 23 that the gospel or the kingdom, the message of the kingdom is spread and different people accept it and different people don't depending on the condition of their heart. He talked about the parable of the weeds in verses 24 to 40 and then uh, further down he explained it. He talked about how the kingdom is growing up in this world together with the weeds of this world and that the harvest will come one day when it will all be separated. We looked at the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, verses 31 to 35, that, that this seemingly insignificant seed, the mustard seed, grows to become this much larger plant that birds can come and live in. And yeast spreads throughout the dough. Now, why this is so contrary is that think about what they thought of when they heard the concept of kingdom. How did a kingdom come about? Think a little bit about Israel's history. Some point in Israel's history, the kingdom of Israel was divided. We have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians. So they were part of the northern kingdom, and now they're part of the Assyrian kingdom because they've been conquered. Nobody set up voting booths. Nobody came along with a little questionnaire. Well, would you like to be a part of the Assyrian kingdom? No, the armies came in. And they stole your home, and they kicked you out, and they forced you to march to another place, and suddenly you're part of a different kingdom. Along comes the Babylonians, and the Babylonians overthrow the Assyrians. So now you who were part of the northern kingdom, who were then an Assyrian in that kingdom, now you're part of the Babylonian kingdom. Why? Because somebody conquered somebody. The Babylonians then come in and conquer the southern kingdom of Israel. So now they're part of Babylon too. Time goes on, and guess what happens? Somebody conquers the Babylonians. The Medes and the Persians come along and they conquer the Babylonians. So now you who were part of this Israel kingdom and then you were part of the Assyrians and maybe part of the Babylonians, now you're part of the Medes and the Persians. Now, granted, this is hundreds of years are going by through this time. Those people get conquered by somebody else. Little known guy by the name of Alexander the Great comes along and the Greek kingdom takes over the Medes and the Persians. Time goes on and the Romans come along and they conquer them. Understand what they thought of when they heard the concept of a kingdom. A kingdom meant somebody has come and conquered us. I don't get a say in it. There's no response. There's no acceptance. That doesn't make sense to them when you're thinking about a kingdom. A kingdom means a conqueror is coming in and overthrowing the power that's there. And now Jesus is talking about something growing in our midst. Something small and insignificant. That's not how kingdoms came. A massive army came through and wiped out the area. This was so revolutionary to them. So difficult for them to accept. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is a conquering that has taken place. When Jesus dies on the cross and he raises from the dead, he has conquered the kingdom of the world and the power of sin and death. There is an overthrowing, absolutely. But we have to understand that there's also this concept of this kingdom that's growing in this world and how revolutionary this was to them. It was completely unexpected. And so we come to these two parables. The parable of the treasure that was found in the field and the parable of the pearl. And the similarity is really the main point here. It's a comparison of two things. 
Both the man that finds the treasure in the field and the merchant that finds the pearl, they look at everything they have and then they look at the pearl or the treasure and they say one is far greater than the other. That's what Jesus is talking about. And again, understand when you're about to be conquered by the Babylonians or the Romans, you're not sitting there going, hmm, that's greater than this. It's just who's going to win. But Jesus says, understand the value here of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is worth more than anything we have. And I just want to pause here. Because if you get nothing else from the rest of this sermon, I want this question or this idea to burn in our hearts and minds. This has to mean something to us. As I studied this and poured over this text and read the commentaries, I just kept coming back to this annoying thought. This has to mean something to us. The kingdom of heaven has to be far greater than anything else we have. I don't think we live that way. I don't think as modern American evangelical Christians, we think that way. I think we take everything we have and then we go, oh, I'm just going to put a little Jesus in there and this will be great. And the parables say, here's these two things. The kingdom of heaven is worth giving up everything else for. Everything. We have lived in a country where we have been blessed with rights, privilege, Opportunities. Wonderful. Powerful. Awesome. But they've also made us a bit lazy, to be quite frank. We haven't had to think of this or that. We've been able to think of all of my stuff and this. And I think in thinking that way along the way, we've really lost sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus holds up these two things, everything you have, or the kingdom. And he says the kingdom is worth losing everything else for. That's a hard truth to wrestle with. And I just keep coming back to that thought. It has to mean something to us. We can't just read a passage like this and go, oh, that's nice. That was good for them. It has to mean something to us now. Now, I do want to give a warning against misinterpretation here. Because in each of these two parables, the person pays everything they have for this treasure, or the pearl in the other case. Some might say, well, this means we have to pay for the kingdom. You have to give up everything in order to earn the kingdom. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying the kingdom is worth everything you have, so you pay one for the other. He's saying you look at everything you have and go, that's nothing compared to the kingdom. There's no equality of worth here. You're not paying one thing for another. You're saying this is worth giving up everything else. The emphasis is on the comparison of the worth. The price that was to be paid for the kingdom is paid by Jesus Christ, not by us. 
In fact, that's what points to the value of the kingdom because it cost the life of the Son of God. It's worth everything. Now, I want to look at a couple key differences in these two parables. The first, kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. This actually was not as uncommon as you might think. They didn't really have great banking system, at least not one that normal people could really use. And so they would. They would literally take treasure, they would take some of their savings and just hide it in their field. Dig a hole and hide it. And it wasn't uncommon for it to be forgotten. And so occasionally you would get land and you would find treasure in your field. So the picture here is probably of a worker and he's out working in the field and he stumbles across this treasure. He wasn't looking for it. He didn't have his little treasure map out and he's following five steps to the west and two steps to the north. He just stumbles on the treasure. It's an accident. But the law said that anything that was in the field belonged to the landowner. See, that, that's crucial to understanding this. He couldn't just dig it up and go, woohoo, it's mine, and he takes it off and, and lives off the treasure. It belonged to the landowner. So what he had to do was become the landowner. So he sees that treasure and he says, it is worth losing everything else for in order to buy this field and get that treasure. The pearl merchant, it's interesting because this guy would be looking for treasure. It's his job to find the best pearls. He is intently combing through the marketplaces, looking for the pearls of greatest price. And he finds this one. I think this is interesting because I think it shows us two different types of people. There are those that are not looking for Jesus, but they are confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and they understand its value and its worth and they give their life to it. There are others that are intently searching combing through worldly philosophies and religions. They're trying to learn and they come across Jesus and they understand the value and the worth and they give everything for him. I almost wonder if Jesus is alluding to, because this is a theme throughout Matthew, the the Gentile in the Jewish world, the Jews who had grown up listening to the truth of the kingdom, searched for it and yet some of them didn't get it either. The other thing that's really interesting in both of these parables that isn't really pointed out is think of all the people that are not seeing the treasure. Think of all the people that walked right over that field and had no idea treasure was there. Think of all the other pearl merchants that went right by that pearl and saw it but didn't understand its value. Throughout this passage, throughout this chapter, Jesus has emphasized that there is a hidden nature to the value of the kingdom. Not everybody's going to understand it. That's hard. But I think if we're all honest, we've seen that in our own lives. There are times we didn't understand the value of the kingdom. And as we talk to others, we understand they don't always get it. And it's sometimes so frustrating. Why can't you just see how great Jesus is? And yet the Son of God is saying, yeah, that's the way it is. Now, I said earlier, this has to mean something. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything else. And I want to look at two phrases in these verses to help us to understand this. The first is, all he had, that's in the first parable, or in the second one, everything he had. They went and sold all they had, everything they had. Think about what this means. Again, it's a comparison of two things. Everything we have, 
or the kingdom of heaven? What's everything we have? Well, certainly we might think of stuff, money, possessions. I hope, in general, all of us could agree that our stuff is worth nothing compared to the value of the kingdom of heaven. Our money is worth nothing compared to the value of the kingdom of heaven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, talked about early Christians. And the writer says, You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. This has to mean something. It has to mean that Jesus must mean more to us than our stuff. But I think there's more. When we look at everything we have, I think we could talk about relationships even. Friends. Family. We don't want to let people down. We don't want to hurt them. We don't want them to turn their backs on us. We want to keep them happy. We want to please them. And yet Matthew in chapter 12, verses 48 through 50 says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So when he's talking about comparing all that you have, he says, think of your relationships too. Even our most important relationships in this world are of such lower value than the value of the kingdom of heaven. Do we look at it that way? I don't know that I do. I'm not up here going, hey, I've got this all together, and if you could just be more like me. No, I'm struggling with this. I'm reading this going, this has to mean something. What does it mean to us anymore? Do we even think this way? But let me add one more to the all that we have. Because I think it includes our ideas. Our human philosophies on how things should go, how the world should be, how the world must operate, right? We're all armchair quarterbacks on reality. This is how the world should function. It's how society should work. It's how civilization should work. This is how the government should work. This is how everything should work. And we have all these ideas. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, Paul writes, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Are we willing to lay down our ideas? Are we willing to lay down our thoughts about worldly structures? Society? Politics? And say the kingdom is infinitely more valuable than all that I have and everything else in this world. One last phrase I want to look at before we leave these two parables. Verse 44, when a man found it, the treasure, he hid it again and in his joy. This came up in Sunday school. Bill was teaching on uh, stewardship of money in particular, I believe. And and we talked about joyful giver, right? God loves a cheerful giver. Well, if your heart's not feeling joy, should you just not give? And the answer is no. But, But giving in Scripture is commanded, but the cheer and the joy is also commanded. It's not just a byproduct. Well, I hope I feel like it. We're commanded to feel joy 
because of the infinite value and worth. And this man, he looked at the treasure and he looked at everything else and he goes, no problem. In his joy, he got rid of everything else because he said, what I am gaining is far greater. Have you ever had a friend whose team just won something important? And they just won't stop talking. On and on and on. Every play. Everything that happened. And you might not even like that sport, but they don't care. Why? Joy. Joy just flows over. Have you ever had somebody who's, whose child just had a great accomplishment? And they come to you and they talk about it and you're thinking, I don't really care. Now you say that quietly. You don't say it out loud. It's rude. Now every time people talk to me about things with their kids, they're going to wonder. I do care. I love you very much. But they won't stop. Why? Joy. Joy is just bubbling up. Why is it that we have accepted and possibly are selling or presenting a picture of being a Christian that is this begrudging obedience? Oh, the world's pretty good, but you really should just give it up and follow Jesus. It's like we present the gospel as if there's this buffet of ice cream sundaes there and a bowl of broccoli and you should choose the broccoli because it's better for you. That's not what these parables are talking about. Oh, that might be the way the world sees it and it might be the way we see it until Jesus comes along and opens our eyes. But Jesus comes along and he says, this is far better than that. You are losing nothing. You are giving up nothing. This is so much better. If we truly understood the greatness of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, the value of being saved by Jesus Christ, the eternal joy that is ours through Jesus Christ, we would not be timid. We would not be so full of fear of losing what we have because nothing can take away the kingdom from us. Think of the things that have plagued the church over the past decade or so. Think of the fears that have plagued us as Christians. This is going to happen. It's going to fall apart. So what? Here's the kingdom. Willing to give up everything else. Oh, it might hurt. Might. For a little while. We might lose this. You might. For a little while. I heard somebody recently saying, you know, if this law passes, you're going to have to do certain type of marriages. And, and if you refuse, you might go to jail. And I said, well, then I'll go to jail. Now, understand, it's easy to stand up here and say that right now. Right? I get that. Okay? And in that moment, it might be harder. And it might be harder to go home and tell my wife, hey, I'm going to jail because I won't do a marriage. I won't do a wedding. That's going to be hard. But what Jesus is saying is, the kingdom of heaven is far greater. What if we actually lived with that perspective? If we understand that what we have to lose is worth nothing compared to what we have in Jesus Christ. It would change everything. The parables of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl Show us that the kingdom of heaven is of greater value than anything else, everything else that we can think of now, that we might think of later, that we might come across at any time in our life. The kingdom of heaven is greater. This must mean something. It must mean something to modern American Christians. Just as it had to mean something to the people during the time of Jesus. 
He wasn't just saying this to be heard. He wasn't just saying this to make them feel better. This challenged them to the core. And what he was saying is that the acceptance of the kingdom hinges on this. You treasure it more than anything else. That's hard. But he's not done. He goes on and he talks about the treasure is eternally significant. And he's going to give another parable here, the parable of the net. Look in verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. Angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus has emphasized this point several times. In the parable of the sower, there's a harvest. There's a time coming that a harvest comes along. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, there is a harvest and the weeds and the wheat will be separated and the weeds will be burnt. This doesn't preach well today. We don't want to talk about a judgment that's coming. We don't want to be these angry, mean people But this is the Son of God saying, wake up. This is a limited opportunity. The time is now to be changed from being a weed to being wheat. Judgment is coming. This is not just, I hope you treasure heaven more than your stuff because it will help your life. But if you don't, find something else that helps your life. This is a choice of eternal significance. Judgment is coming. Jesus uses this image of a fishing net. Suspended in water, it would have been weighted on the bottom, maybe some floats at the top, dragged through either by boat or by hand. And think about it. You think about the lake and the fish and like everything's going on. They don't necessarily notice. In fact, that's kind of the point. They don't notice that there's a net coming through. But Jesus says this is how the kingdom is moving through history. And people are being collected into it. It's silent at times, almost unnoticeable, kind of like the mustard seed. It's very different from the conquering army that they hoped for and that they wanted. But it's moving. And I have to wonder, and Jesus doesn't expand upon this, but at the end of Matthew, he's going to send out his disciples, right? And... and that marching order to go and make disciples, that we say that still applies to the church today. There's, in many ways, we are still the net that is moving through history. And we are spreading the gospel. And we are welcoming people into the kingdom. And others we are warning, you're going to hell. We have a job to do. And a time comes when the net is hauled in and the fish are separated. We have to hold on to these two very important truths that now is a time of great grace as the kingdom is spreading and growing and the gospel is being presented. Now is a time of mercy and grace where those who are dead can be brought to life, where sinners can be changed into saints, where rebels can be changed to children of God through Jesus Christ. But we must equally hold the important truth that eternal judgment 
is coming. It's not me being mean. It's not me being a Bible thumper. It's the Son of God. And in love, he told this to his disciples. And he told it to the crowds. And I'm repeating it to you today because I love you. And you need to hear this is eternally significant. This is not just about the quality of our life now. And this is, as I go back to that phrase, this has to mean something. This is where I think as American Christians, and I'm sure other countries struggle with it too, I think this is where we are really struggling. You know, somebody's even written a best-selling book, Your Best Life Now. That's not what the gospel is about. He's not reading the same Bible we are. I'm not sure he's reading any Bible, to be quite frank with you. The gospel is about something of eternal significance. If we could really glimpse eternity and glimpse the speck on that timeline that is our life right now, we would have such a different perspective. The 50, 60, 80, 100 years that we live, it's a moment in light of all of And we want to put all of our effort into that moment. We want to put all of our our treasure in that moment. And we are so willing to give up the treasure of eternity for the value of the moment. And Jesus comes along and he says, you got it all wrong. Be willing to give up the treasure of the moment for the value of eternity. Invest in the value of eternity And this leads to the final parable that Jesus tells. Because my understanding in this passage is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. If we go back to verse 36 of chapter 13, it says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him. And he explains the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And there's no other kind of interruption in the the discussion here to say that they ever went back to the crowds. I think this was still being told to the disciples which helps us to understand this last parable that he tells. It's a final parable that has to do with the mission of the disciples. Talks about a treasure of what I'm calling unchanging purpose. Look at verses 51 and 52. He says, have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. And again, I'm assuming they here is the disciples. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, again, maybe he's speaking to the the crowds. I'm not sure it really matters that much. But the point that he's saying here is he's saying that this is like a, a, a scribe, a teacher of the law. And the teachers of the law would open up the law. And by this, they really meant the Old Testament scriptures, specifically the law and would expound upon it and explain what it meant. And they would kept going back and saying, well, Abraham said this, Moses said this, and eventually they started expanding it to so-and-so said this about what Moses said, and -and so-and-so said this about what so-and-so said, and they just kept going and going and going. And Jesus comes along and he says, let's talk about new scribes. Now, understand, again, if he's speaking to the disciples, they're not scribes at all. They're not educated men in this way. 
they didn't hold that title. That was like people that went through a master's or, or a PhD program and were the best of the best in understanding the Old Testament. These guys are a bunch of ragtag people. Most of them are just fishermen. If he's talking to the crowds, it's probably even worse. Sure, there were some of the teachers or Pharisees there. But again, I think he's speaking specifically to the disciples. Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. What is he talking about? At the end of Matthew, he helps us to understand. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And this he's definitely telling his disciples. And I think also telling us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This ragtag group of people were going to become teachers. And every follower of Jesus Christ, I believe, according to Scripture, has a responsibility to be a teacher doesn't mean you're going to find yourself up here on a Sunday morning. doesn't mean you're necessarily going to find yourself in front of a Sunday school class or even a small group class. It means you should be able to take somebody aside and say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me teach you. Let me help you to understand. And what Jesus is telling his disciples here is that this teaching of the kingdom, which was so revolutionary to them, so revolutionary to the crowds is this new treasure that must be taught. But it is part of the old treasure as well. This was God's plan from the very beginning. We don't just take this part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the thou shalt and thou shalt not, and the stories that are so difficult to understand. We don't just rip that out because the cross has come and say, well, I just need to listen to this new stuff. Jesus is saying, no, no all part of the same message. Teach it all. God has had this in his plan all along. So ask yourself this morning, do you truly believe Jesus is worth more than anything else? Think about that over the next couple days. Be honest with yourself. It's a hard question. Do we really, truly believe that Jesus is worth more than anything else? And I want to want you to listen to the words of someone who faced the same decision. And who not only was willing to give up everything for Christ, but actually did. To the point of giving his life. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 14, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind 
straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What do you treasure? Please, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not easily dismiss the words of the Son of God this morning. That the treasure of heaven far surpasses the worth of all that we have. All of it. We have a mission. We have a mission to proclaim this truth. But if we're going to tell other people of the surpassing value of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must also live the surpassing value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to mean something. Friends, the world's on fire. And grab one thing. Make it the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, convince us today. Help us to accept. Help us to fall on our face and bow down before the all-surpassing value and worth of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven that you are growing into this world and that one day there will be eternal judgment and those saved by Christ will be separated from those who weren't. And that that choice, that difference has an eternal consequence. Father, help us to understand This means something. God, I pray that you would confront the treasures that we have held on to so dearly as individuals and as the American church. May we be known in this world as holding on to Jesus Christ and nothing else so that in us, the world could see the all-surpassing worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make this, Father, mean something in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.